Welcome back to the show. Uh, our special guest is Simon Presley from Propertyology. Bushy Martin and I are talking to Simon about uh, what he's noticed and some wonderful information here too, Simon. Thanks for this. Let's bring up our next graphic about the annual change in asking rents. And this is based on three bedroom houses. Yes, it is. So across the, um, I'll, I'll talk uh, about that graphic in a second while people are looking at it, but uh, across the decade, um, median asking rents in Sydney increased by just 10% in 10 years. So uh, not much growth at all. Melbourne's uh, not much more, 20% across the decade. Um, the median asking rent today in Perth is less than, um, is 10% less than the start of the decade. Hobart's had the biggest increase in asking rents up 57%. Uh, across the decade. Um, so a, a bit of a sample of what's happened in different parts of regional Australia. Bendigo, a 40% increase in, in rents. Sunshine Coast, up 52%. Same as Dubbo, up 52%. Uh, Ballina and the Northern Rivers of New South Wales, up 67% over the decade. Launceston, 69% higher rents now compared to 10 years ago. Wangaratta, most people wouldn't know where that is on the map. Um, rents are 73% higher today than at the start of the uh, of, of the decade. Um, most of the increase in rents has happened in the second half of the decade, which is that graphic you've got up there showing the chart. When I say asking rent, so something's advertised now, um, we see right across Australia that there's been large increases. Um, this is looking at the annual cost to rent, large increases um, over, over the last five year period of time. So um, to rent a three bedroom house, for example, in Cairns now, you'll pay five, $5,700 more rent this year than what you would have five years ago. Um, some other big ones there, Port Macquarie, $8,000 more to rent a dwelling there now. So on the West, um, you're very up and down always is in places like Port Hedland and Caratha because it's a one industry economy. But if you look at a place like Bustleton in the Southwest of Western Australia, uh, it's nearly $7,000 more per year to rent that house now than the same uh, than, than five years ago. Right throughout regional Australia, you can see the rents have increased a heck of a lot more than seven out of eight capital cities, the exception being Hobart. And the reason for that, the cost of rent is, is determined by how much rental supply is available. Rental supply is predominantly the actions of a property investor. If a property investor doesn't purchase a property, they're not adding a property to the rental pool. Now, largely property investors don't think regions when they think investing, they think their hometown, or if they're getting a little bit adventurous and they think of investing somewhere other than their hometown, it's usually a, a high profile capital city. So they're continually adding to the rental pool. And, and the forgotten cousins, the regional locations often don't get thought of. So they're not adding some rental supply to it. And that puts a lot more upward pressure on rents. And then the, and an event called COVID comes along and people want to escape to the regions and there was already a heck of a lot of pressure on rents uh, in most parts of regional Australia in 2019. Then we get the single biggest volume of movement in human history. That's what COVID did. Um, and now we've got uh, rents just going through the absolute roof. We haven't invested enough is, is the moral of the story there. Yeah, very foreboding warning signs for what's about to happen in the future, which we'll we'll talk to you about shortly. But uh, just to sort of round out the picture then uh, around the last decade, uh, what's changed as you've seen it in relation to uh, the quality and quantity of real estate information over that time? Yeah, it been interesting. Um, I, I love this question when you sent it through to me, Bushy, forcing me to think back. Um, at the start of this decade, I think printed newspapers were still pretty 
pretty popular. Uh, I, I used to still get a lot of um, flyers from real estate agents in my letterbox. That was a common form of communication. That's been replaced a lot by a plethora of online stories that we've all become used to. Um, I remember at the start of this decade, I was, I was frequently on mainstream real estate TV shows, um, whether it's Sky News or Channel 9 or Channel 10. They all got axed progressively over the decade and have been replaced by, you know, you led the way um, with that, with digital TV and podcasts, you, you led the way at the start of the decade. I don't think I'd heard of podcasts. Um, you know, if it wasn't for yourself, I wouldn't have heard of podcasts. Um, you know, now it's a, a common and very popular means of, uh, of communicating. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more opinions now. I think that's just the digital world that we live in. Um, everyone's got, got their own platform, their own Facebook page or their own Twitter account. So everyone's got an opinion uh, and therefore everyone thinks that they're an expert. There's more information available about real estate now, a lot more reports, a lot more data. But what we don't have more of, unfortunately, is more wisdom. Because we've got more opinions, people think they've got knowledge because they've got a voice. But I'd actually argue it's, uh, it's diluted intelligence, not, not enhanced it. That yeah. There is more information available, but we're not consuming. We're consuming more poor quality information. That's been the problem. And where are we going to go over the next decade, do you think? What's your view on that? For information? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, data's the new oil, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to think that there'd be, um, you know, clever cookies out there working at all different metrics, different things we could measure. Um, personally, one of the things I would love to see, Kevin, would be um, uh, the frequency of data, especially property-specific data, the core logic stuff of the world. Um, there's a four-month lag on that. You know, in this day and age, I still don't understand how it can take so long um, for, the, for that number, that those numbers to be published. Um, so yeah, um, but the technology's there. It's just a matter of how how quickly can the human brain, you know, be creative and innovative, uh, and, and come up with uh, new things. But the digital way of delivering messages, um, you know, that's that's not going away. Yeah, Brian. Well, while we're on the the subject of the future, if we we're, we're looking through the the front windscreen now, I'd love to get your thoughts on what's likely to change. Uh, in both the way we live, but also its impact on property in the, the decade ahead. Uh, well, I think um, we're going to we're going to see forever and a day that uh, that property um, will remain the world's safest asset class. It is shelter at the end of the day. It's an essential commodity. Um, you know, three out of 10, 10 dwellings of you know every year for the last sixty years, uh, three out of ten dwellings have been rented. I don't think um, I don't think that that's going to change um, whatsoever. I think we're going to, um, particularly since COVID, we've all responded differently to COVID, but the way we live, there's definitely been some structural changes um, that I've uh, enjoyed observing them, them unfold over the last couple of years. We put greater appreciation for, for much of the last decade. There was an insatiable appetite to be living uh, with things in your front door. You know, the high-rise apartment that we were talking about earlier so that we can just literally walk downstairs and go to a restaurant and go to a cafe or walk to work or something like that. Um, the impact of COVID, um, we're now embracing technology. We want space more than that living in that confined space, the high-rise apartment. We want space. We don't just want houses. We want, we want acreages. We want big backyards. We want um, fancy swimming pools. We want to create our own oasis. Um, We've we got Netflix. We've got um, online shopping. We've got Uber Eats. We, we now just pick up the phone or grab the internet and things are delivered to our door now. And that's that's been the biggest change that I've observed since COVID. That's the new norm. You know, there, there'll be a change somewhere down the track. 
Um, but for the next decade, as far as I can anticipate now, that will be the single biggest change. Home is our oasis, um, is what I'm calling it, the lifestyle movement. Yeah, the, you've touched on rents before and that, that situation's only getting worse. What, what's your view of uh, the future in that regard and, and what needs to be done about it? Uh, what needs to be done about it, I guess, um, I don't have any confidence this will happen, unfortunately, because the people in the high places, their, uh, their actions haven't been suggesting that they've been listening. But we need to think about what actually caused, it is a rental crisis. Um, I, I love Australia, I'm proud to call myself Australian, but one thing I'm horrified is that in a country of 25.7 million people, one of the richest countries in the world, and we've got good people with good character, good rental histories, stable incomes, um, good financial discipline, and they are living in tents, they're living in caravans. Now, that, that story is not an exaggeration. That is widespread. That is happening all over in Australia, and it's happening a lot more outside of our capital cities than, than inside it. What caused it is, people don't like talking about this, but if you want to know the truth, it's politics is what caused it. Federal, state, and local. Yep. Rental supply is the action of a property investor. Investing is a discretionary action. You do not have to do it. To do so requires financial discipline and a preparedness to take risk in investing in your own financial future. When someone walks around with big baseball bats going whack, 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 that discretionary action, you get less participation. So whether it's a tax policy, whether it's a let's change a rental policy, let's take um, a privilege away from the asset owner and put it in the hands of the person who's renting, all these things, let's make it harder for that investor to get credit. All these things have happened over that decade. We looked at it in some of those graphics earlier. So there's been a significant reduction in the amount of investor participation throughout the last 10 years. Investor participation is where rental supply comes from. 85% of every rented dwelling in this country is owned by an everyday Aussie property investor, not, not a government. But the government decisions, federal, state, local, have diminished it. So until they you know, actually put their hand up and say, we made a few things, decisions that we regret, we recognise that we are, we've caused this problem. Um, investors don't need red carpets. They don't need handouts. They don't need cash thrown at them. What they just need is clean air. And, and even given clean air, this mess will take years to recover, years. My fear is what happens in the interim? That family living in a caravan or a tent, what happens? There's nowhere to live. The person who currently does have a, a detached house, but their rent's gone up by 200 bucks a week over the last two years. What happens when that lease expires? And the landlord goes, well, Sunny Jim, it hasn't always been roses for me, but now what it is, I'm going to make hay with the sun shining. Um, you, you know, the rent's going up by 50 bucks a week. You can't deprive the investor who's taken the risk from doing that. And if you do, that investor will sell. So the problem gets worse, right? So if you don't pass that legislation, which you shouldn't, um, then the rent goes up. So that person, I can't afford that now. So now we've got someone else living in the caravan. Well, the other thing that I think is going to tip petrol on that whole exercise as well, Simon, is uh, the fact that, you know, we've pretty much closed the borders and locked the place up for the last couple of years. We're now starting to open them. And there's going to be potentially a big influx of people, given how attractive Australia has become relative to the rest of the world. What, what impact is that going to have? Oh, enormous. And look, we do need to, um, now, now that it's safe to open up the international border, we absolutely need to encourage overseas migration. As we're having this discussion, Bussy, we have 430,000 jobs advertised in this country that we cannot fill today. 
430,000 jobs. It doesn't matter what industry you work. It doesn't matter what town or city you have a business in. You have a job or more, one, one or more jobs advertised now and no one living locally to fill it. Now, that's a good thing um, in one respect because we've got a really strong economy. The, the full house sign is up for our, our economy, which is great for property markets. It'll be great in the not too distant future for wages. Finally, we'll get some, some wage growth because we've got lots of jobs and no um, labour supply to fill it. But, so we open up the international border and we invite in all this skilled labour to fill these jobs. Again, great for the economy. But where do they bloody live? The 25.7 million people who are here now, they're living in tents and caravans. I'm not exaggerating. Now, pre-COVID, we, we used to add about 200,000 people per year from overseas migration. What, what do we do if we just add six months of that? 100,000 extra people. Where are they going? I'm serious. Where are they going to live? Yeah. Rents, it's, it's, it's scary stuff. I, I fear that we may end up uh, seeing a side of a country that we've never seen, other, other countries around the world we've seen before, civil unrest. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, there's, uh, despite that picture, I, I'm hearing a, a wealth of opportunity for property investors moving forward. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your take on what the opportunity will be? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of commentary recently because we've had our first RBA increase in 11 years about, oh, property prices all doom and gloom. Yeah, it's the same commentary we heard when the international border closed. Oh, yeah, no population growth. Property prices are going to crash. And yet, you know, the, the two following years were the biggest boom, second biggest boom in our history. Um, so what we've gone with uh, interest, it, it's, it's inevitable. We'll have more interest rate rises, right? So instead of going, uh, we're going to have dirt cheap interest rates going to a, a poofteenth more than dirt cheap, but they're still going to be dirt cheap, right? Um, yeah. But we've got an economy that's at full house. We've got infrastructure boom. That's the greatest thing this country's ever produced. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no job vacancies anywhere. We've got an all-time, officially an all-time record low supply of properties for sale and for rent. These are incredibly strong, an incredibly strong underbelly for property markets. Yep. Incredibly strong. Um, all the RBA rate cuts will do is think of it as the accelerator. So the things I was talking about earlier, the foundation or the motor that drives the property market the things on the supply side, the things on the economy side. We've got a really, really strong motor. The RBA is the, is the accelerator pedal, right? So that accelerator pedal um, until last month or the early this month has been bang on the floor. We're going fast, right? And progressively the RBA is, is lifting, you know, not putting as much pressure on that accelerator pedal. So um, it's, it will control the rate of growth, but we will still have, perhaps with the exception of Sydney and Melbourne, we will still have growth. And in large parts of Australia, I'm very confident um, we will see deep double-digit growth. Wow, incredible. Um, you know, what a session, Simon. We're, we're out of time, mate. Unfortunately, we're going to have to go. But um, thank you so much for your time, Simon. And thank you also for your support over the last decade. Lots more to come, I hope. My pleasure, gents. Um, I want to thank you all. Uh, uh, congratulate you all. You know, 10 years is a fantastic achievement. 500 shows. I, you know, I've got a great appreciation for the amount of work. It's not just the time that you're on air, but all the work you. you do behind uh, behind air, um, you know, organising um, uh, speakers and that sort of stuff. I've enjoyed being part of it and uh, want to wish you well for um, the future um, success of this great program. Thank you, mate. We're going to have you on long before we do our thousandth. 
Your man. Good on you, Simon. Thank you. Um, stay with us. We'll come back in just a moment. Bushy and I will give you a rundown on um, some of our takeaways from what Simon has given us uh, in this show. Stay with us. This is Real Estate Talk. No, it's not. It's Realty Talk. I'm so used to saying that. <laughs> this is Realty Talk. We'll be back again in just a moment. Fantastic. Good, mate. We'll let you go. I'll just stop recording.